Welcome to episode 338 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Do you have a duct tape business? By that I mean, are you piecing together various systems and tools in a cumbersome way that seems to be held in place by duct tape? Is it time to find an all-in-one solution? If so, I recommend that you check out ActiveCampaign, a powerful marketing automation platform that can help you increase your sales, improve your customer service, and build stronger relationships with your customers. With ActiveCampaign, you can create and send email campaigns, manage your leads and customers, create landing pages, set up automated workflows, and track your results, all in one approachable platform. It's no wonder ActiveCampaign is over 10,000 reviews on G2, like this one. ActiveCampaign is easy. The drag and drop creation of emails, as well as the ability to see reports, send test emails, and easily use templates made it amazing. It's been one of the best ways to grow my business this year. The switch from MailChimp was seamless and a game changer in so many ways. Or this review. I love support the Active Campaign offers. They go out of their way to make themselves available to help, unlike any other business we work with. Getting a real person to help is easy, and they work hard to find solutions to the roadblocks you run into. If you're serious about growing your business and your duct tape solution isn't meeting your needs, sign up for Active Campaign for free and see how it can help you achieve your goals. And for a limited time, Active Campaign is offering our listeners a chance to double your contacts for free when you sign up at activecampaign.com forward slash activate. What does double your contacts mean? Well, if you have 5,000 contacts, you'll only pay for 2,500, giving you lots of room to grow your list without hitting that next threshold. Go to activecampaign.com forward slash activate to sign up today. That's activecampaign.com forward slash activate. And right after this break, we'll dive into this week's interview. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's guest believes you can master the art of connection and engagement through the power of strategic storytelling. She's an award-winning storyteller, comedian, and motivational speaker. Her wacky wit and powerful stories have charmed hearts and tickled funny bones for nearly two decades. She was a featured entertainer for Holland America Cruise Lines, keynote speaker for the International Toastmasters Convention, and has keynoted numerous major conferences and corporate events. In fact, in 2022, she was inducted into the National Speakers Association Speaker Hall of Fame. She's the host of Pride's Hollow Podcast and has written several books, including Who Hijacked My Fairy Tale, The Land of If Only, The Story Formula, and The Gutsy Girl's Pocket Guide to Public Speaking. Her one-woman show, Who Hijacked My Fairy Tale, is being booked all over the U.S. Please, Joe Main welcoming Kelly Swanson. Hi, Kelly. Hey, Robbie. Hey, everybody. It's nice to meet you. It's awesome that you're joining us in your place in North Carolina. And as you know, there's a show about building strong networks. The context, though, is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Okay. Um, I define leadership, well, in two ways. Number one, there's the leadership that's on your job description and your title and what you were paid to do. But I view leadership as anyone being in a position, uh, a moment of influence. That's how I look at leadership, because I believe, Robbie, that all of us, that we're all leaders, because we all have those moments when we can impact 
other people, whether we choose to take them, whether we're paid for them, um, or no matter where we are. I love that moment of influence. I, I haven't heard anyone describe it quite that way, but it, it feels like it both that it rings true. And it's like, it's like such a nice contained way of describing it. Um, when did you first start realizing you had some of these assets and these, these skill sets? When I was a storyteller, um, I don't know what year that was. It's too long ago to remember. I thought I was doing it, Robbie, just for the entertainment and the making people laugh and making them feel. I just wrote my stories and I wanted to tell them. But somebody came up to me once and said, I don't think you realize what power your stories have beyond just entertainment. They're empowering people. They are changing the way they think. They're uh, tapping into what their pains are and their desires are and their emotions are. And they're creating a very authentic emotional connection uh, with your audience. And that's where it began to change. And then when I morphed into being a speaker, it, it, it even more tenfold, I, I began to see, whoa, this is so not about me. This is about how I can take that moment I have and influence somebody else in a lasting way. I have to say, I'm curious, Kelly, who you were as a kid, because uh, I, I have a sense that you've always been who you are. I'm just curious how that showed up as a pint-sized Kelly on the playground. Uh, what, what, is, what was that like? Were you storytelling back then? Were you getting your friends together to do plays? Were you organizing people? Or were you kind of quietly sitting back watching? Like, what were you like? I was incredibly shy and picked on and bullied and retreated into myself because if you were noticed outside your house, inside your house, head school, you know, wherever that may be, um, it, that my mantra was be invisible. I, I mean, I, I know that sounds strange, but it was don't, don't be seen. And because of that, where did I find refuge? But in books and in stories and in writing, it was, I lived, it, it was the stories in my head that became my companions. And I used to think that's so weird. And I'm only now really understanding what I was doing back then, but it's not weird. It's, it's, we all write a story that we live in and, and what a beautiful thing that I could find a way to reframe my world. Uh, and, and that that would turn out to be my calling was to help other people do the same. So that was a pint size me. I was always silly, funny, it, you know, in my own backyard. Um, and, and then college, thanks to Budweiser, uh, came out of my shell a little bit more and trusted, you know, the real me started to come out when I realized that people would, uh, but, but even into it. high school, you were still kind of the reserved, shy yeah. girl in class yes. at home. People saw who you were more humor, more life, but Ish. books were your salvation books were your retreat and a safe place for you to sort of explore. Yeah. And, and the characters in my head, <laughs> let me, it quickly came out of books and it became to the, I had a whole cast of characters in my head. And I always say, I talked to people you couldn't see. I heard people you couldn't hear. Um, they, they delighted me that they kept me company. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? But that was, yeah, my world. I mean, honestly, out, out of all the possible survival mechanisms, that's a great coping strategy. Uh, when you're in that awful place of being picked on and you're trying to, I mean, be invisible as a mantra it is a, is a, is a, is, a, is like a, a necessary thing in that moment for you. But the fact that you found another way to still show up and, and find, like, like you said, these, these characters sort of came to you and kept you company. Um, when you were 12 years old, did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Was there like a path laid out by your family or by expectations? Were you going to go to college? Were you going to go to work? What were we going to do? Get married. Get married. And have children. Yeah. That was it. Where were you growing up? Uh, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And then North Carolina. And I don't put all this on my parents or oh. our traditions or the lineage of, you know, the women that had come before me. I, I don't, I don't know what, I don't spend too much time trying to figure out where it came from, but I had, I, I joke and say, I had no ambition to go. The career was not, I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to raise my family and I, I, I that's, and not saying it's not important, but that's all, that's all that was, I had no idea that any of this was coming. 
None. Was college even part of that plan? Or did you think you were just going to? No, I didn't know what I wanted to do in college either. You went to find a husband and I didn't. Um, And I, again, I kind of joke because I bet my parents would go, no, wait, wait, wait. We would have been okay if you, whatever. But um, no, I floundered in college. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I never knew what I wanted to be, um, you know, outside the home. And somebody said, well, major in English. You can go do a lot of different things with an English, with with majoring in English. And well, didn't I love that? Because I was all about books and words and and whatnot. And so I just, you know, no, college was really just about, you know, getting through it. And college for me was more about acceptance and finding out that there was going to be a whole different group of people who would accept me for who I was. And college was where I learned I was funny and I became the class clown. I became the one dancing and performing for everybody. Does that make sense? Yeah. Having a good time. People started to see you. You stopped being visible, invisible all the time and being seen more for who you were. Did you feel like you were being you or did you feel like you were acting a part to be seen and appreciated by the people in college? Both. If I if I could go back, I would go back to myself and say, you don't have to perform all the time to be liked because when you're funny and you're the class clown and you do that trick or that and everybody laughs and claps, then you think, oh, well, this equals worth. This equals acceptance. This equals be this. So you you do. You you I, you know, yeah, found myself playing a part. However, it really was me. It just was a it was just one side of me. Right. So you did you did you say earlier that you found the husband at college that happened? Nope. No. no. Okay. So that was, that was sort oh, of the, there was later. sort of the vague plan, but when what was the you graduated with an English degree? Well, a, 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 a series of jobs, you know, what do I want? Do I want to be this? I was in sales. I was in this. I was in that. And I ended up working in a family business, which that was that was nice and easy to kind of slide into that. Um, you know, I, so I ended up after years, you know, of trying different things, just working for my father and, you know, being an office manager. Uh, it, it was a company that sold air conditioning and power supplies to data centers. So I just did office stuff, you know, order taking, you know, whatever, took out the trash. But I would, that's when storytelling entered my world was during that time because I would go answer phones and be practicing my stories. And, you know, my father used to laugh and say, you get back to my office and you can't remember who's on the phone, but you got 27 people in your head (laughs) and their stories. And so, so at that, that is, well, I don't know if you're going to ask me that, so I won't ramble down that road. But that is where me being a storyteller started to enter my world. Well, yeah, the, the natural question I want to ask you then is who introduced the concept of storytelling to you? Because like speaking for like a living, like that's something that we don't really understand. That's a thing. So when did you realize that storytelling wasn't just something you did with your friends? Right. And, and I always mind? did it. So... I was doing it, but never thought it would be anything. Still through college, I I was just, I was hiding my stories and my characters and, you know, in, they were just what came out of my head and and danced on paper, just me and them together. That was it. And then uh, in the series of getting all these jobs, blah, 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 blah. I took a, that's what it was. I took a writing class at a community college after college. I don't know why, just for fun, but a bunch of teachers were taking it. That was the catalyst. That was the moment uh, right there. We had to read a story that we had written to the class. So I brought one of my stories up and they said, wow, your story is so good, but the way you tell it is even better. And Robbie, I didn't know how, I don't know how I was doing it. I didn't have an acting background, didn't have a theater background. I'm just telling it because they're very real to me and I'm their narrator. And then one of the ladies said, will you come to our school and tell stories to the kids? And I was like, but she said, we'll pay you. And I'm like, yay, beer money. So I started going to schools and I didn't really like it for the kids as much because they're like, yeah, okay, what you got? What you got next? But the teachers that were lining the rooms that were on their lessons plans, but then were putting their pencil down. And their heads would go up and they would laugh in all the right places and they would get the nuances of the language and the humor and and, uh, you know, they would be drawn in. And 
school to school to school. At one of them, I met the art teacher, Cynthia Brown, and she was covered in glitter and sparkles. And, and she said, you're a storyteller. I was like, oh, okay. She said, you need to join us. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? She said, we have a North Carolina Storytellers Guild. There's a lot of us out there. Come join our world. And so I joined and they made me secretary in the first meeting, note to self. But I stumbled into a, a, a there are there are thousands of storytellers all over the world, but all over the country. It's an art form. It's a uh, we're we're like a cult in a good way. But um, so then I went to the National Storytelling Festival and saw storytellers in tents with thousands of people under each tent. And I went, that's 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 what I want to do. That's who I want to be. How do I do that? Yeah, it's amazing to get that invitation into that world where you start to see, like, I, I remember my first time going to the National Speakers Association, and that's how you and I connected. It was in 2015, and the, the how amazing, I don't know how to say it, but like how amazing every speaker on the main stage was and how different blew me away, made me really emotional because it, it was this moment of homecoming of like, oh, like, this is amazing. Like, maybe you see a one good speaker at a conference, maybe, but like here was like every single one. And so for you to go to the storytelling festival and then see these people like hold thousands of people's attention, you know, and, and bring them along in this amazing journey that's, that was came from their head. You suddenly realized like just how big this could be. And it was only about the story there. You know, it was, I learned the art. I watched, I soaked it up. I saw how they added music. I saw how they added humor. I saw, wow, the difference in writing your own and using your own personal experiences versus getting something out of a book. I just, I learned a lot. So when I came into the speaker's world, into NSA, and that was very overwhelming for me and, and quite intimidating because I'd gone from this kumbaya, everybody's story matters, you know, you're a sellout if you try to make money doing this <laughs> to the speaking business. It was like, ah, but I came in with this skill set and this perspective. And, and one of the first things I thought is, wow, why aren't people paying as much attention to the stories in their speeches as they are everything else. I was very, now this is 20 years ago, but I was very surprised at how little emphasis uh, was placed on story or the, the perfecting of it. Even now, I, I sometimes struggle because I, I crave people who want to work on the craft as much as I do. And, and it's, it, it just seems like they're not in abundance. Mm-hmm. Well, considering that storytelling to kids wasn't your thing, but storytelling to adults was, and it's probably not as many spaces to do that. How were you making a living initially before you found speaking as a profession? I had a day job. Yeah. I was working, I was working for my father. And then, um, so I had a, you know, 40 hour a week job telling stories on the side and get, talk about weird, trying to get people to pay me as a storyteller. I mean, I had it, people like, how'd you do that? I was like, I got a card in Staples and typed it on in. I mean, it's a hard sell. I mean, nobody wakes up. I didn't know anything about marketing and business. Nobody wakes up going, oh, I, we need a storyteller. Or it, it was, it was, but it was, I wasn't trying to make it a business. I wasn't trying, I just wanted to tell my stories. So I was going to nursing homes and churches and festivals. And boy, you talk about cutting your teeth in some of the hardest, I was going to street parties and, and, you know, the, 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 to this date, some of the hardest venues I've ever been in just to get a chance to get up and tell another story. It reminds me of folks uh, who I know a lot of professional speakers who've gone on to do stand-up comedy to really hone their craft. And it sounds like there's some overlap because again, like the audience is waiting to be entertained. The audience is like, yeah, yeah, show me something I haven't seen before. Um, you know, what? where are the similarities that you see? Like how do, how, how has that really honed your craft? Because it feels like you came in with a, with a significant uh, amount of experience in the speaking world that a lot of speakers just don't have. Well, uh, um, yes and no though, because in the storytelling world, it was only about your only job was to tell a story and make it good enough that they would want to listen. 
And when you take it then in a speech, the, the now my job is to create rapport, establish trust, connect with their pain, connect with their desire, mirror their emotion, uh, um, change their perspective on something, make the, I mean, I'm trying to do a gazillion different things now in a speech. And what was so hard for me in that transition was same thing with comedy. And I learned comedy after I was a storyteller. So I would come into that world and see what I could learn from them and take it back. You couldn't put a storyteller in a comedy club. Yes, there are comedians who tell stories, but you couldn't take what I do and plop me in a, no matter how funny it already was, you can't take a comedian and easily just drop drop them down into a speaking job because the expectations are all different. So while there's overlap, it, it's not an easy, quick, or our clients would just be booking straight up comedians or musicians. Uh, we have to learn how to, as I say in the business world, speaking world, create an experience using everything we have at our disposal or the, or according to the style and the brand that we've created. Uh, and, and a lot of comedians come in and speakers come in. I mean, uh, entertainers, performance artists come into the speaking business because it's an easy way to get a stage. That was my path. It was an easy way to get a stage easier than a comedy club or a cruise ship. And therefore when my theater show came out, all these speakers came out of the woodwork that in NSA who wanted to have a show as well. It had always been in them. They had all come from those worlds. And now we're like, okay, well, how can we go find those different stages? Yeah. And folks should definitely go to your website. You got a great clip from who hijacked my fairy tale, uh, talking, <laughs> talking about your time, uh, selling stories in uh, nursing homes. Um, <laughs> it really brings you right there. Um, when did you start to to sort of think of this as an, I mean, you had this sort of side hustle hobby, right? Like you, something you loved, you made a little money. It was fun. When did you start to think about professionalizing it and who helped you start down that path? Like who, like someone planted the idea in your head early on that you were a storyteller. Who, who helped you think about that next part of that journey? Jeannie Robertson. Wow. Okay. For anyone who's like listening, this is like a name from the world of NSA. Amazing that you got. So how did you two cross paths? She was, I was telling stories at a festival, the best of our state of North Carolina, a magazine puts on a festival. Jeannie was the big name. I was the one before her and she was there, listened to what I did, came back to my table and said, what's the storytelling thing that you do? She was a little interested in whether there was a, a place she wanted to go with that. She ended up speaking at the National Storytelling Festival. Um, and then she was, she's like, you're not, you, you, she noticed my talent and she said, you need to be in the speaking business. This is the world where you're going to get paid for that. And she had me and my husband over to her house not long after that and just sat at a kitchen table with us and laid it all out. And she was ever since then was available for me, answered questions, a cheerleader for me, brought me on her back porch show uh, right before she passed away. Um, she was a heavy, heavy influence in my life. And, uh, and she said, join NSA and lay low. <laughs> I don't know why that was her first bit of advice, but she was like, join NSA and just lay low. And um, that that was a catalyst. And my husband was really on board with all of this. He was really the first one who said, you have a talent. What you can do, not everybody can do. And I think that's marketable. I was like, really? People will pay me to do this? I still find that hard to believe. And, it's amazing and that, to have. I mean, to have her support, but to have support at home is probably even more important because like, you know, that opens up lots of possibilities because you don't have to overcome that other resistance, like to have him urging you forward. And then to come across her, she's being so welcoming, so generous with what her experience is and pointing the right direction uh, and really like telling you to just just get in there, just start showing up and just, you know, I love this idea of like lay low. Just don't don't raise your hand and become a uh, secretary on your first meeting. Right. Right. Well, and let me also make it clear. She she opened my eyes to a whole new way, but I had to do it myself. 
So anybody who's going, oh, I need a Jeannie Robertson. She didn't open doors for me. She was there for me when the doors opened. And I think that's important to note because so often we crave someone who will come along and help us and give us a hand up. And, and, and those relationships are critical and the mentorships that we have. But I had to do it on my own. I had to figure it out on my own. I did not. She didn't give me work, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, so and I don't I don't fault her for that. No, you should introduce um, you to the network, to the community, to the market, but like the concept even of being paid as a professional speaker and using the art form that you knew, storytelling in that in that new way. Yeah, that's I mean, it's still a remarkable entry. Um, I think that, uh, you know, figuring out that you can be paid, but figuring out what you wanted to talk about, because, you know, before you were telling stories for the for the sake of telling a story. And as you said, now you needed a topic, you needed a point, you needed a lesson, a takeaway, right? Like you had, it had to have something in that, in, you know, someone was hiring you to help people learn a thing. How did you figure out what that part of it was gonna be? Like, what journey did you have to go what on? What a brilliant question. Cause that in my head just now, I was like, I was already saying the TARDIS part was figuring out what I talked about and what my brand was and what my messaging right. was. Because when you come at it from this angle, we can talk about anything. And there, I knew they were going to hire me to be funny. And, you know, that was a struggle, 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 Robbie, until, uh, and I just, I had to go look at what I was already doing. The stories were already, what, what already is living there? What is, what are you already about? You're about ordinary people who do extraordinary things. You're about changing the way you see the world, whatever. Uh, um, so it, it easily morphed into being a motivational speaker right away. And, and then I was like, well, what are the points I'm trying to make? Cause you don't just motivate, but motivate them to do what? And how does that look? And, oh, it was such a struggle. And I'd, but you land, you land somewhere and you figure it out as you go. So I kind of landed on this, uh, you know, see, believe, do, trust the Kate. And then I landed on a title. And that was gold. And that was years later when we, some, we, I was talking about it with somebody. Talking about your content is so valuable over and over and massaging it. And I said, it's just, it, it's, it's all like we're living in a fairy tale. You know, we buy this idea that life should be a certain way, blah, 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 blah. Boom. Who hijacked my fairy tale? That became the title of the next book. That be, first book, that, no, it wasn't the first really. I don't talk about the first. That became the, the first keynote. It later, 20 years later, becomes the first theater show. It was a very good title for the time. Clients loved it. They Women's groups glommed onto that theme. Somebody told me early, Colette Carlson, told me early on, you're going to be about story. That is going to be your thing because Robbie, what was happening from the first convention I went to, I did a breakout session. People are like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're bold enough. I guess that's not Jeannie's idea of laying low, but I did a breakout session and quickly I began to attract speakers who wanted to know what I was doing and how I was doing it. How are you telling those stories? And so at that almost immediately, I began helping people with theirs. And at first, everybody sounded like me, but it was, how do we tell stories like you? How do we, and, and, and so then I began to go, well, how do you take what is an art and be intentional about it? And are there formulas and are there patterns? And yes, yes, yes. And how do you make it persuasive? Not just bada bang, bada bang, because these people over here aren't using it in the same way. And it became about strategic storytelling. So fast forward, hundreds of speakers, thousands of speakers. And then I was like, wait, it's not just speakers. It's uh it's it's anybody who stands up on a stage. It's politicians. It's pastors. It's 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 leaders. It's salespeople. Then I began to see how that was a tool, and that person who said you're going to when Colette said you're going to be all about story one day, she was right because X number of years later, when I hit the wall on how much money I thought I could make as a funny motivational speaker, I realized I was either going to have to double my bookings because the market value wasn't as high or I wasn't as good at it. Uh, they weren't paying as much for that. And, and I was loving it, but I was killing myself. And I was like, you're going to have to create another pro another stream of revenue. And so I began to create a, a keynote around the power of story 
and how to teach people what I did. And that was more marketable. That turned into story-driven leaders, story-driven salespeople, story-driven influencers, my book, The Story Formula. So I had this double blessing of getting to be the artist, but getting to teach what I know as an artist. And it's been hard, Robbie, because I want to hang on. That is who I am, first and foremost. I am an artist who tells stories, and I can tell you how I do it. And I have a way that you can learn that. I will never look corporate enough for what some corporate groups want. And I, I finally had to come to a place now in my 50s where I'm like, you know what? I'm okay with that. I've created this thing here, but I can't be everything. And I already have brand ADD. When you look at my website, I can't be all of these things, but they all fit neatly under the package of story. So there you go. That's that's how that morphed into wow. yeah. content. And boy, I have a ton of content around story to the point where sometimes I go and there's no show. And there's two days of we do story makeovers. We go deep into them. We rework them. And the performer never even shows up, which is a weird thing for me. I was like, whoa, but whatever, you know, I'm still in that ringing that bell stage of my career. So I'm welcoming it all. I really appreciate that was quite the journey you took us on. I mean, it's basically like covered the first 15 or so years of you figuring this out. And I do think you came at it from such an interesting angle where, you know, you have this talent to speak. And now it's a question of, well, what am I going to speak on? Um, how did you know what a motivational speaker was? Was that NSA influenced? Yes, I did not grow up listening to motivational speakers. That was very new to me in our family. They would scoff at that. They still do. <laughs> you know, like, well, that's a bunch of bull is what my dad says. Um, so I didn't wasn't really familiar with it. Then when I came into NSA, the day of the motivational speaker was sort of going down. In fact, most people said, do not call yourself that. Uh, that that's that it was it was kind of a joke if, if if I can say that and you were almost looked down upon for being the motivate it was content is king you know um, however I was married to a man who was a computer guy who who was who studied SEO when it first came out and who figured out how to get us on the first page of Google above the fold organic. Again, this was a long time ago when you could do it. Can't do it now. Um, and that's when my phone started ringing off the hook. So he knew how to go get that traffic in the very beginning, which is really what, what took off and allowed, because I don't do any, I don't pick up a phone and do cold calling. I don't know how to do that. But that brought traffic to my door as a motivational speaker and as a funny motivational speaker. And I was laughing all the way to the bank while people were saying, don't be one. It was, and I think even now an incredibly, what is the often searched term on the internet. So we were just gobbling it up and they were finding me. And this was that tipping point before that you had your, your bureaus were really locking in all the, you know, all that business and work and the internet opened it up and now everybody could find us directly. I was just in the perfect place, the right yeah. place at the right time for that perfect storm. Uh, but no, people told me not to be a motivational speaker. And then I turn around and everybody else is starts putting it in their, their titles. Then everybody became one. I was like, crap. Shouldn't be so free with my advice. Now I've got <laughs> people competing against me who aren't even. And then I would say, now, wait a minute. There needs to be something that qualifies you. I mean, I know you get to claim it. There's no vetting process in this. But, I mean, we can't just all call ourselves motivational speakers. It means something. It means something to me. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. There's the... Um what professional speakers say, and then there's all the buyers out there, like the the bookers and the meeting professionals who like what they're the people that they're like reporting to the words those people use, they're not in the know, <laughs> like they're not meeting people. They're not meeting professionals, the people who are like decision makers higher up. So what's in their head is, oh, we need somebody motivational. Yeah, let's get a motive. Like, it's funny how we have our own sense of, you know, 
oh, TEDx, that's, I mean, I've heard that, like, TEDx, it's all been done, whatever. Like, oh, everyone has a number one bestseller, international, yada, you know, like, but, you know, still the decision makers, these things make a difference. And you had the right place and time as far as the SEO. That's brilliant. I love these stories of being on the cusp of something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you can't go repeat it. Robbie, you're, you're brilliant, though, in bringing up that point. You are so correct. Every bit of criticism that has caused me angst in my business or the majority of it, I would almost say every bit has not come from my audience or my buyers or my clients. It's come from my peers. And you make a really important point is don't go ask your friends what you should do. Go ask your clients and your people in your audience. And one thing you will definitely hear a lot in NSA is, oh, that's been done before. People have done this. People have done the, the, you know, the personality profiles. Yeah, that's true. And if somebody has seen it to death, it's your peers. It's not your audience. And I go into a lot of places where I may be the first time they've brought in a speaker and, and, and a kind of exaggerating there but but still they don't they don't remember that or they weren't there two years ago when that speaker came and I am because because I also coach speakers I get to see all these speeches that are out there I'm amazed there was one recently where this woman did person she did disc and mixed it with something else but she did it in her own way it was even what I would not have defined as a keynote I would have said oh that's a workshop and she slayed it on that stage. And I went, shut my mouth. We are all teaching the same things that have been around forever. Well, I mean, except the ideas that are new and relevant and, and, and moving forward, but basically the concepts many of us are talking about are the same. And, and the way we wrap and package it is what makes it different. So I'm so glad you brought that up because the yeah. comparison, the advice we get from some random person who couldn't wait to catch you when you got off the straight stage, who's also a speaker and thinks you should have done it a different way. Sometimes we let too many people get into our head. And that was one of the things I did right in my business, Robbie, unintentionally, because I'm kind of an introvert, is I put my head down, I went in my silo, and I worked, and I didn't let people get into my head. Yes, I would go to advice when I needed it, I would seek counsel, but I would tune them out. At some point, you got to tune them out and just plow forward and get in your silo and do your work and trust it. Yeah, and and really, the proof is in whether or not your buyers, or your prospects are are saying yes to you, you know, and whether they find it to be the exact thing that they were looking for, even though they didn't know they were looking for that kind of thing. Um, I, yeah, I, this is where I think it's wonderful that we have the ability to be around a lot of people who are doing the work that we're doing, but like you said, that they're not our buyers. <laughs> so good, good to remember to always go back to the market as we're testing things. Um, you know, you, You've been such a big part of NSA. Like, I, I love that I've gotten to know you this last year. Uh, we've just started to get to know each other. I came in 2015, 2016, 2017, definitely knew who you were. Like, you know, you'd already been there for 15 years by that point, maybe 10 years, 15 years, I guess, something like that. What What's your journey been like uh, in the industry? Like you said, you kind of went from doing your own thing, then you started teaching other people what you were doing. You had put on a show. Um, you know, you, have you been involved in a chapter? H how have you sort of, cause NSA, the fact that you're still involved 20 years later, I think is something to note. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to take what I need and move on. Right. But you're still here and you're giving back all the time. Even from your very first time that you went, you've been giving back. What, what are your, what have your sort of experience been with that? Um, yes, and I believe in giving back and 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 selfishly when people know your work, then they know how to recommend you. They know how to refer you. It's just it it makes sense of all those relationships. Um, and I give back the way I like to give back is to teach what I know. And so I've gone to chapters, most of them. I mean, there's only a handful I haven't been to, and some many times. And I've done breakouts and things at NSA, and that I don't I haven't served. Uh, I've done stuff with my chapter, but I don't anymore. It just got to be too much. I'm, I'm gone too much. And um, But there were years in the beginning where I was very involved in, in my chapter. and uh, uh, But I don't serve in a deeper level. I don't, I'm not on the board. I don't, that's just not something, you know, I like to be in a surface level. I don't want to know too deep what's going on behind the scenes. You know, I just, I'd prefer to 
to be blissfully ignorant in that regard. My experience also in NSA, shy kid characters in my head, became a storyteller. This is what I want to do. I want to take you to Pride's Hollow. I want to tell you that Harriet learned to drive her Buick, that old man Withers left everybody money, that blah, 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 blah. That was what Jeannie saw me do all those years ago and knew that was where my, that was my zone of genius or whatever. And I, I took one look around NSA the first time I walked in and saw everything that I wasn't. And I went, oh no, because what I envisioned is very different and it's weird and it's unusual and I'm about to fully embrace it right now, but it was not the norm and it was definitely not what you saw every time. I'm, I'm hanging out with trainers and consultants and people who built train the training businesses. And that's intimidating because you start to, you start to become like the people you hang around. So I took one look and said, they don't want Pride's Hollow. They don't want the characters. They don't want this. I buried all of them. I buried the idea and I spent the next 20 years becoming a commercial product. Yes, it was still me. Kelly, the funny motivational speaker. Yes, it was still me, but I play, I dance to the beat of their drum. I said, okay, this is how you do it. And, and maybe I needed to do it to get money, to look enough what the part to get the door opened. Um, but I was constantly going to chapters to to a lot of people already knew the characters because when I would go do breakouts or when I would go, I would share it almost like asking for permission from everybody to the point where some of my friends are like, oh, my God, do it already. I'm sick of hearing you talk about it. Then when COVID hit, I went, oh, crap. And we're all locked down and we're own, suspended in our own moments, realizing that we don't know how much time we have. And and have I done the right things and do I still have time to? And I have the luxury, well, not during COVID, but I had the luxury of it works, even though I don't know what I'm doing, but money's coming in. I can keep the lights on and the bills paid. So I can, I'm not as frantic as I was on day one. I still don't know where my next job's coming from. Don't hear me wrong, but I'm not as frantic as that. I trust and I put it out there and I've planted thousands of seeds and they always continue to come back. But it, during COVID, I went, this is it, Kelly. This is your last chance to really do this the way you want to do it and to be the artist you know you want to be. And they may not like it and 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 it may tank you. And I, then I was laughed and went, you're exaggerating. It's not going to tank your career. It may not be what they wanted. You're giving out Pride's Hollow Gazettes. We're turning it into a newspaper. You know, I was, but I'm going to love every doggone moment of it. And you're going to do, and it won't be a matter of, of if they like it or not, you've got to do this. But I made the decision that I'm going to embrace this brand for whole, every keynote I give is going to be this way from here on out. The content is still there. It's going to be the next theater show. I'm loving every moment and I, I don't care if anybody. In the middle of all of that, that big decision that you made is when you were nominated to be in the Speaker Hall of Fame. So that must have been really like, just feel like very validating. Like obviously it was built on 20 years of people knowing you and not just the last couple, but you stepping out and doing the thing that you love as an artist did not take that opportunity away from you for being recognized as the exceptional speaker that you are. You're right. And what's so ironic, Robbie, is that many people said what they appreciated about my body of work and my career was that I had done it my way. And I, because even in my own way, it was different. It was unique. It was, it was not like the others did it. And I had several people who have seen my career all throughout the years say, you gave us courage because you're doing it your way. You're going to wear the sequins and the feathers. You're going to talk to yourself in a mirror. You're, 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 they validated that even doing it the way I thought they wanted me to do it, it was still unique and authentic and still didn't look the part. <laughs> um, and I love it. I, I love it. It was very, to be honored. I don't make it more than it was. I, I don't, I don't, my life did not change from one day to the next. Um, I didn't get in some secret room with a secret key. Uh, it was a, a wonderful night to be validated, like you said, by that room of people and maybe not even all of them even knew me, but the ones who came before me to validate my body of work meant yeah. more to me than most most things in my life. It was it was a it was surreal 
And you'll know it when you're on that stage one day with, with your <laughs> peers honoring your body of work. It's a great moment. And then you get back. Up. I was happy to be there to honor you. That was, that was Thank a really you. great night. And um, I mean, you have just done so much. I'm curious as we wrap up, you know, a year from now, I'm going to check in on you, right? We're going to hang out and I'm going to say, Hey, wh what have you been up to? I want to know what we're celebrating. So what are we going to be toasting to a year from now? What are you most looking forward to? You're, a year from now, I'm going to tell you, Robbie, that I wish I had done this long ago, but I'm not beating myself up for it, that people love Pride's Hollow. And not everybody, but the people who love it. And that it's the next theater show. We're going we're gonna to clink a glass and toast that the Pride's Hollow theater show has now hit the stage. And and uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be what it is. I, I really believe in manifesting your you know, your destiny. I just did this recently. I've spelled it all out what it was going to look like in 10 years. And amazing. Uh, I can't wait to celebrate that with you. And it's hard to, without telling a story, how to share what Pride's Hollow is. You got a quick story to share about it? Oh, I can't do it quickly. Um, but let me, let me, let me just share the premise because sure. it is a story in and of itself. Pride's Hollow is, is about a mile past somewhere you've been before. It is a small town with a big heart where the people stay, but the gossip travels. I am editor of the Gazette, so they're always calling me. They will call me in my keynotes because they got to tell me that they just caught Homer stripping in the nursing home again. He does that. He hijacks the afternoon entertainment. I mean, the dogs and poodles are cute, but nothing like Homer when he puts on his little sequin. He used to be a lounge uh a performer back in the day. My husband says that means stripper and uh, that would be the first one our town's ever had. But my husband be wrong uh, because Bitsy had a, a few years where she would jump out of a cake. Uh, but that didn't last for too long. She didn't make much money. Apparently they weren't ready for plus size dancers to come out of a cake. But but I digress. So they're always calling me to tell me these stories and they're in the Gazette, which when you're in my show, you're going to start getting a, a copy of it. But the pr what's really going on now, Robbie, in our town is that old man Withers died. Now, that was no surprise. He's really, really old. He kept to himself. Wasn't very nice, if you want to know the truth. But he died, and we knew he had a lot of money, but we didn't know he had enough to leave everybody some in town, which is, that's, that's different. And uh, on one condition, so don't you know, three words, he roped us into his last dying wish. And we all said the same thing on our letter, because I looked. We, it, it all said, asked us, a series of questions and it said what would you do if you had no fear if you were brave enough to change your story and so to get our inheritance he's asked us to all go do something brave now some people knew right away like Harriet and Nat Buick that was sitting out front that her kids were coming to pick up and go sell since her husband died she never learned how to drive and um Ed Jenkins learned what he would do when his kids begged him to go jump in the leaves, which you might not think is a big deal. You got to hear the whole story. Pearl, uh, who works the, the queen of the laundromat, she's got agoraphobia. And she learned um, through something that happened by accident, actually, what she would do if she were brave. So there's all these stories of what everybody's doing to get their money. And, and, and that's what I come to my audiences to do is to share there's episodes online uh, i will never run out of somebody says will you ever run out of those stories i was like are you kidding me no there's there's there, no. There, there's never an end to what you would do if you were brave and when you hear the stories it's kind of like garrison keeler and it's like wobegon it's got that i'm starting to add music and i got my little old old timey radio that's going to be on the stage so you will you'll turn on that that bluegrass I'm going to hate that, uh, you know, music in the background when you hear the stories. And then I'll end with um, telling you, this is kind of a spoiler alert, but I'll tell y'all anyway, if you see the show, it'll still be just as magical uh, or the keynote because I'm doing the show as a keynote for now and until I get it worked out. But at the end, I say, um, well, there's one story still left to be told and Oh, this is what I was trying to remember back earlier. And I tell my story at the end about the little girl with the characters in her head who was afraid to bring them out into the light 
So Robbie, I believe that things in life and in our careers often happen for a reason in the timing that they're supposed to happen. And while I may have wanted to have rushed my career or maybe I shouldn't have hidden, definitely shouldn't have hidden who I am at the right now, it is the story. This is the story is the little girl who put her characters away and decided to bring them out, weaving into a beautiful ending message to you listening and to y'all listening right now. What would you do if you were brave? Would you come to the end of your courage and see what's on the other side? And that's Amazing. why I'm here is to, to, to help you find out. So I love yeah. it. There you go. You didn't get a story, but you kind of got, I got the a story. I got a sense of it. Yep. I've heard you say a lot of this before and I wanted to make sure those listening oh, knew why to tune in to what you were doing. In fact, how can people find you and follow your work? Um, I think the best way, which will require a little effort because you have to set up a profile, but you're younger, you young people won't mind that, um, is to go join my story community. You go to story impact network. Dot com storyimpactnetwork.com it's a for those of you who are listening who are familiar it's a mighty networks platform uh, where i can just love on you and share stuff with you without all the clutter of things that social media does but that's the best place to find me if you don't want to go to all that effort just google kelly swanson storyteller and you can go to whatever channel great well, we also have a link to uh, your website your podcast uh, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Twitter, we have all that in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Uh, you can head over there to find out how to connect with Kelly. And I, I highly encourage that you do. Kelly, this has been really a fun way to spend the afternoon. Thank you for hanging out with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kelly. What is your key takeaway? something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Look for episode 338. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional to achieve success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.